I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. to Nuggets Numbers. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday morning as we come off a very Merry Christmas in Serbia that Nikola Jokic has just put on for these Denver Nuggets. Last night, the Nuggets really needed a win. They really needed a statement victory, and Nikola Jokic provided Going into Atlanta, one of the tougher places for Denver to play, coming from the West Coast to the East Coast. Not West Coast, but you know what I mean. It's a tough road trip, and it's generally combined with a trip to Washington and a trip to Miami and a trip to Charlotte. And Now they had to go into Atlanta after coming off of a tough loss to the Washington Wizards. That was really a gut check that really, st- that really said, you got to put on. You have to figure out how to get a win here, and Nikola Jokic did. Nikola Jokic went absolutely off against the Atlanta Hawks. When they were starting Bruno Fernando, having John Collins at power forward and having Alex Len come off the bench, this was a time where Nikola Jokic knew he had a matchup advantage, knew he could get any shot that he wanted, and got any shot he wanted, he did. He had 47 points eight rebounds, and five assists on 16 of 25 from the field and four of eight from three. He went to the line 16 times and had zero turnovers. One of the greatest performances of Nikola Jokic's career, bar none. Merry Christmas to all of the Serbian Denver Stiffs podcast listeners because Nikola Jokic gave a a real Christmas present there. He is in an interesting position on this team where he usually serves as the starting point guard for this Nuggets team. He's the the lead playmaker, the lead facilitator. And even though he doesn't dribble the basketball all the time, even though he's not the one who's handling the ball, it usually falls on him that when he does receive the ball, he's the one who creates shots for himself and others. He doesn't create a ton of shots or... People don't create a ton of shots for him unless they're picking pops with Jamal Murray. He has to do a lot of the heavy lifting himself, and he did it a lot today, too. Jokic was the third center in NBA history to post 45 points and zero turnovers in a game, joining Shaquille O'Neal and Moses Malone. Some elite company for Jokic, who's a new era center. He's not... He's not like Shaquille O'Neal, but if you remember from this offseason, I compared him and Kobe and uh, Jamal Murray to the duo of Shaq and Kobe Bryant. And there was a reason I did that, because they do things in similar ways 
in this era, Nikola Jokic is one of the biggest and most physically imposing players in the NBA. He does it in a different way than Shaquille O'Neal does, and he passes a lot more. He's more creative. But as athletic as Shaq was, that's how skilled and finesse-laden Nikola Jokic is. And he really showed that tonight. He went into his bag. He got the he got the game started with three-pointers and, and hit a couple of open jumpers. Then he went into the post and made some aggressive moves into the paint. Then he hit some fallaways. Then he hit some shots on the roll in his offensive rebounding. He got to the line 16 times, and I don't think it's a coincidence that Jokic's career night comes when he shoots 16 free throws. That was also a career high. He has never shot or exceeded more than 14 free throws in his entire career. And this is the game that really showcases, in my opinion, what Nikola Jokic's game would look like if he had consistent respect from the referees, because he was getting hacked. These were foul calls. These were times where, in previous games, where he's matched up with somebody a little bit more high profile, that he doesn't always get those calls. He got the calls tonight. It allowed him to get some easy shots at the free throw line, but more more than anything, it slowed the game down for him. It allowed him to accumulate 11 of 16 free throws, and it made things a lot easier instead of just having to bang the entire time with the opposing team. Hitting four threes was super important. He shot four of eight from three, established that rhythm. He had 18 points in the first quarter, and I think three of them came on three-pointers, and that's a big, big deal for a star like Nikola Jokic because he can go into his bag late in the game, but if he doesn't have his three-point shot working, then we saw it last time when these Nuggets faced the Atlanta Hawks that if he goes one of eight from three, the Hawks are just going to collapse on all of Denver's other sets, but he went four of eight from three tonight. He scored 12 of those points, 12 of his 47 from the three-point line, it opens up his entire game. It allows the mid-range to open up. It allows the paint to open up. It allows passing lanes to open up. It really helped that Nikola Jokic was on his game tonight. It's what makes Nikola Jokic so infuriating at times, honestly, because when the Nuggets are facing a below-average team like the Atlanta Hawks, Jokic just showed the capacity to go for 47 points. He took 25 shots. He really had it going tonight in a mismatch, and there have been situations earlier this year, many actually, like how about against the Wizards on Saturday, where Nikola Jokic only attempted 10 shots, where he's gone invisible at times, hoping hoping that guards would carry the scoring load, hoping that Paul Millsap would take some of the burden. Will Barton and Jamal Murray have done a really good job of stepping up for this Nuggets team but it's not without the assumption that Nikola Jokic eventually has to take the reins and take the reins he did tonight, but it really doesn't help when it's so irregular at this point. Sometimes he'll take 10 shots, sometimes he'll take 25. It's a tough thing for for the Nuggets players around him, I'm sure, to really gauge because on a night like tonight, Jamal Murray did the right thing, and he was passing to Nikola Jokic very frequently. He wasn't jacking up a lot of shots. Paul Millsap only took three shots tonight. Gary Harris took 12 shots, although six of those were threes, and I think all six were open or wide open shots. So those are shots he really has to take, in my opinion. 
especially if the Nuggets are going to be a serious playoff team. They have to take and make open shots. But sometimes these other players can carry the load, and they did early in the season. Paul Millsap hitting 45% from three. Will Barton hitting around the same thing. Those other guys were carrying the load for a lot of that time. But sometimes those other role players cannot. Sometimes they do, and it's not even enough. Like when Jamal Murray had 39 points on Saturday. Even though he had 39, the Nuggets still only had still had to amass 128 points to overtake the Washington Wizards. Washington had 128, and Denver only had a measly 114. They had a great offensive performance overall because Jamal Murray was so hot and doing things amazing things really well. But Nikola Jokic didn't really come to the party that day, and the Nuggets need him to. They need him in those situations. Today was a different time. Jokic got involved very early, very often. He had, I think, 18 of the Nuggets' first 18 of the Nuggets' 29 first quarter points. And when you get into that kind of rhythm early, it really sets the table for everybody else around you. It really makes it easier for them to say, okay, we can get our shots when Jokic is off the floor, but when he comes back on, we want to keep him involved because he could really help us get somewhere. He could really help this Nuggets team score points when a lot of other guys don't have it going. Paul Millsap, like I said, only shot three shots tonight. He didn't even make one. Gary Harris was two for 12. He didn't have it going. Jamal Murray kind of had it going, but not really. It was it was fine. It was okay. Uh, Will Barton really had it going, and that was great. That was extremely needed. But Jokic was the guy that they really had to orbit around, the guy that they really had to make sure that he was involved in everything that they did because he had the mismatch. He had the opportunity to go for points. And in a scenario where the Nuggets needed a win, Jokic really delivered. So that's a, a major thing to see. And you hope that it makes sense going forward because when Jokic attempts 14 shots or more, the Nuggets are now 17-5. and five. In 22 games, they've won 17 of them with Jokic being aggressive with his own shot. It's not just him being aggressive. He's not the only factor in that. Sometimes he has to be past the ball, but it's a major factor because he has the wherewithal and he has the the luster to demand the basketball because he is the best player. Everybody knows that he's the best player. If that's what he wants to do, the Nuggets are going to give him the ball. They're not going to ice him out on any occasion. If he feels like he has an opportunity to really help the team by scoring, they will let him score. They will They will let him at least have that opportunity. That's not something that I think any Denver Nugget would really argue with at this point. When he has wanted to take those shots, they certainly want him to as well because they see the capability in him. I think he's the only guy who struggles to see the capability of his scoring at times. He was dealing tonight. Absolutely awesome. He shot four of eight from three, but so many of those shots that were on the on the interior were really impressive post shots, really impressive takes, really impressive offensive rebounds where he was just physically overpowering the, the people around him. So what this means to me going forward, what this means to the Nuggets going forward in my opinion, is that the bar has now been set even higher for Nikola Jokic. 
he can score when he has that matchup advantage. And I think he has to be held accountable if he has that matchup advantage and does not take advantage of it. And the Nuggets struggle offensively and don't score enough points. If he does, if he has a matchup advantage, but chooses to get other people involved and they're blowing somebody out, then I get it. Then it's understandable. Then that's a really great situation for getting other people involved and helping get the offense going in a variety of other ways. But when people are struggling to score, when the team around him is struggling to generate equal and efficient shots, Jokic can sometimes still fade into the background on occasion. This matchup specifically, this game against the Atlanta Hawks, I think marks a point on the calendar where Jokic has to be held accountable if he's not taking at least 10 shots a game. He should be taking even higher than that. It should be around 14-15. I know that some people are kind of turned off by that narrative that he has to take a certain number, but... It really helps to free up the people around him when he's staying aggressive, when he's getting down on the block, when he is showcasing just how good he is because it it opens up so much for the team around him where he can make these incredible passes out of the post or he can kick the ball out when he's when he's double teamed or triple teamed or or he can still hit the fadeaway. He can hit that Sambor shuffle. That's something that I think you would love to be able to do. Just just try shit. Just Do what you need to do. He's in a situation over these next three games where the three primary defenders on him, I think, are going to be Maxi Kleber, Tristan Thompson, and Montrez Harrell. I I think that Kevin Love will probably start in that Cleveland game. Maybe Kristaps Porzingis is in the Dallas game in a couple of days. You never know. But... Montrez Harrell is going to play probably 35 minutes in a competitive Nuggets game. Kevin Love's going to play a lot. Sometimes they're going to be in that position. But either way, those aren't good defenders. Those aren't guys where you look at Jokic's matchup and say, oh man, he should probably be passing out of that matchup. Those are guys where he that he's honestly torched in the past when he wants to. When he gets big, when he understands what he has to do in order to get down on the block and overpower guys. That's a really great situation for Denver to be in, and it's a really good indicator for what they could need in the playoff situations. The bar's been really set for the players around Jokic as well to try and get him going more frequently. Jamal Murray struggled to get the ball to Jokic tonight. That was a pretty big deal. He had a really glaring turnover, and and I'll Give him, give him credit. That was his only one. That like, he did a good job of limiting his mistakes tonight. But Jamal Murray has struggled to get Jokic the ball in the past. If he can't get it, then the ball needs to be in the hands of somebody else who can get it. So Will Barton may have to get Jokic going. Uh, Gary Harris might be the one who has to handle the ball a little bit. Maybe Paul Millsap plays the high-low game with Nikola Jokic and comes and flashes to the top of the key. However they do it, the Nuggets cannot go away from Nikola Jokic in the post because they can't get the ball there. Once they get the ball there, good things happen. They they generally tend to work out very favorably for the Nuggets because Jokic can make those passes. But if the ball never gets there, usually that's a situation where now the clock is running down, now everybody doesn't really know what to do, and you have to create a below-average shot opportunity. 
And you never want to see that. You never want to see people having to settle for those below average looks, especially ones that are pressed by the shot clock because they aren't going in as frequently as a Jokic post-up is or as frequently as a pass from Jokic out to somebody else. So get him the ball, make sure he's down there and let him go to work because Jokic has the talent to score 25 points per game if he really wants to. He doesn't have to, especially with the talent that the Nuggets have in their starting lineup right now. But I still think it's something that Denver should focus on. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the rest of the Denver-Atlanta game. And in the third segment, we'll be taking some Q&A from questions post-game after that contest. Some interesting thoughts there. We will be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. Nuggets numbers. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you for tuning in to the Denver Stiffs Podcast Network today. Really appreciate you. We missed out on a pickaxe podcast episode with Zach and Gordon on Monday, but that will be up next week, so don't have any worries. I will also probably be posting another Nuggets numbers on Friday, so if you're interested, make sure to tune into that one. That should be fun. As for the rest of this Denver-Atlanta game outside of the Nikola Jokic scoring explosion, it was really great that Jokic had it going early because so did Trey Young and the entire Atlanta Hawks offense. Atlanta scored 115 points tonight, and Trey Young, or, or they also had at least 29 points in three of the four quarters tonight. It was a consistently bad effort and really bad execution from Denver defensively. And I I don't know if it's necessarily bad defensive effort, but there's this balance between effort and focus where if your focus isn't perfect, then your effort looks like it wanes. It looks like you're a half step behind when in reality, it's usually because you're not thinking the game at the same level that the offensive player is thinking it. Trey Young is a wizard. He is a savant with the basketball he makes a lot of great decisions, and he he turns the ball over frequently because the ball is in his hands as often as it is, but he sliced and diced Denver tonight to the tune of 29 points and 12 assists. He only took, let's check this really quick, he only took 12 shots tonight and still had 29 points. He got to the free throw line nine times, made all nine. He had five three-point opportunities, he made four, had 12 assists. Just was a really, really dominant, impressive performance from Trey Young. And the Nuggets are fortunate, honestly, that they also had the offense going because on top of not being able to stop Trey Young, they couldn't really stop Kevin Herter or DeAndre Hunter either. Those guys shot very efficiently from three. Denver was really willing to give those guys space 
because simply they weren't Trey Young. They weren't the guy who was in the pick and roll. And they were kind of the off-ball people that Denver really struggled or they, they didn't focus on as frequently. And it gave Kevin Herter a lot of good shot opportunities off the dribble. And DeAndre Hunter was the recipient of a lot of Trey Young passes where he was uh, posting up on the wing or the or in the corner and hitting those three-point shots. That's a really tough look for Denver's defense because this was a a really big issue going into it where Nikola Jokic had to step up and he has to double the ball, basically. That's what Denver's pick-and-roll scheme generally calls for. Jokic is usually up at the level of the screen, and usually that involves letting the pick-and-roll man go. And that means the backside with Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant and Will Barton and any any of the players who are on the weak side of the play, they have to be able to rotate quickly and with timeliness and be in the position to really contest the shot at the rim and also get back to the corner. It's a really tough ask that Denver has their, their backline defense do. And I think that has really waned lately. It's, it's one of the reasons why, and I'll talk about this in the next segment, but there's a reason why Denver's defense has really struggled. And I don't know if it's necessarily because anybody's effort is bad, but I think the execution of the scheme has actually been a lot worse than let on. But yeah, Trey Young was awesome. He hit some crazy shots tonight. He had, when he had just a small bit of space, he even hit a 35-foot three-pointer against Jamal Murray that caused Michael Malone to take a rage timeout because it was in transition and it was following a Denver miss, and that's just kind of how things go. But that was a real situation where Denver could have let go of the rope, and they were fortunate enough to get some stops late, get enough uh, get enough stops and enough scores to really make it work. But Atlanta brings the exact formula Denver struggles with defensively. And they're a team that really spaces the floor. They have, they take a lot of threes. How many threes did they take tonight? They took 39 threes of 77 field goals. So they were trying to outmath the Nuggets, basically. M-A-T-H, outmath. Um, and it's really understandable with the look of their their shot chart. I'm looking at it right now. I see one, two, three real mid-range jumpers. One of them was by Trey Young. One of them was by Kevin Herter. One of them was by Cam Reddish. The rest of these shots were either threes or in the paint. And that really says to me that the Nuggets were doing a pretty bad job of containing the pick and roll, of containing the guys that they needed to contain in order to make these shots less efficient. Because when you're forcing more mid-range looks, usually things end up better. Denver didn't really force anything tonight. They they only forced 10 turnovers. They, they let the opposing team kind of take the shots that they wanted to take. And Denver was fortunate that they were making more shots than Atlanta was making. So this is... Uh, it's a little bit less concerning than the Washington game, but I still think that it is worrisome. As for the rest of the players, kind of individual offensive performances, Will Barton on his birthday did a lot of cool stuff. He had 28 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, led the team in rebounding. What would the Nuggets really do without Will Barton at this point? He just does it all. He does everything that the Nuggets need. He scored 28 points on 20 shooting possessions. He just had it all going tonight. 
he even had a really nice uh really nice alley-oop that made sports center tonight i i, I captured something and on my twitter page take a look at it if you so choose they they took a lot of pictures of of barton's face who he made he made some very funny faces while he was dunking that basketball so very excited to to get up that high and i don't blame him he got up really high for that ball his ability to score off the dribble has also been just extremely helpful for Denver's offense, obviously. Denver struggles with their guard penetration at some points because Jamal Murray and Gary Harris and Paul Millsap are often very reliant on Nikola Jokic to create shots for them. Will Barton, not as reliant, not as it's not as necessary for him to get a screen or to have a backdoor pass thrown to him. He does score on those possessions, but he also kind of plays that two-man game with Jokic where he'll pass him, he'll pass Jokic the ball, Jokic will give him right back, run the DHO. If the defender goes under the screen, Barton's comfortable shooting the mid-range pull-up, and he's shooting it at a lower efficiency than I would like, but his willingness to shoot it and his confidence shooting it usually draws the defender out a lot. So, I'm okay with him shooting that shot. It, it's something that's in rhythm for him, and it could be really helpful in a playoff series when things are when things are breaking down. So, very impressed with Will Barton once again. The Nuggets would be in a bad place without him. Like I talked about a little bit earlier with Jamal Murray, he had an up and down game. He struggled with Trey Young and Kevin Herter on the defensive end. Those guys are really good. Trey Young, very jittery. Kevin Herter, six foot seven taller than Jamal Murray, was able to get his shot off over him on the perimeter. Uh, Really impressed with their backcourt offensively, but on the other end, Murray, to his credit, he was very low mistake as, as like in, except for that one turnover that he had throwing the ball to DeAndre Hunter while he was trying to get it to Jokic in the post. Murray only had one turnover. Uh, He accumulated eight assists in a variety of ways. He was one of the main guys on the bench unit in the second quarter that helped Denver kind of extend their lead a little bit and give them some wiggle room. Jokic was actually in the plus-minus department. He was an even plus-minus. Paul Millsap was a minus 10. That's really representative of who was playing with the Nuggets starters at that point. The Nuggets starters weren't that great. Uh... Jamal Murray was one of the main reasons why the bench was really good and finding some really efficient shots. He was creating some shots really well for everybody. Um, Had some passes to Jeremy Grant and Monte Morris and Mason Plumley, I believe. So you love to see it from Jamal. And he didn't really have the, the shot going today, but in moments where it counted, he posted up Trey Young, made a grown man move on a very small player, and shot the ball very efficiently right over him. And that was one of the the main baskets that kind of sank the Atlanta Hawks right at the end of that game. So good performance from Jamal. Not great, mostly up and down, but understandable. He also took a really big shot from Alex Len. I think it was in the third quarter. Uh, Alex Len made a really dirty play. It's It's like kind of, kind of gruesome, actually. I, I don't watch it because... Murray's face is exposed when he's trying to get through the pick. And instead of just kind of like stepping in front of Murray, Alex Len really throws out an elbow and a shoulder right into his face. And it was 
extremely dirty. It was just just not a clean basketball play, and I was really surprised that it wasn't reviewed for a flagrant foul because if it had been reviewed, it absolutely would have been called a flagrant foul because he was quite clearly going for Murray's nose. Like It was just kind of awful. So Murray has had a lot of situations where he's fighting through picks and he gets caught the wrong way. He gets his knee bumped. Uh, that was the, the Jakob Pertl special from the playoffs last year. So hopefully he stays healthy. Hopefully he gets right. The Nuggets need him. He he just had 39 points. Tonight he had eight assists. Like he's he's growing. He really is becoming a better player, a more consistent player. You love to see that from Jamal, and, and you hope that he continues to recover. Last on the individual players, Gary Harris is, is a little bit concerning at this point. Shot just has clearly disappeared over the last two games. Uh, two of 12 from the field, 0 of 6 from 3. After going 3 of 12 from the field and 0 of 4 from 3 against Washington. That's a tough look. Um, he also struggled to contain Trey Young, but so did everybody. The Nuggets really need Gary Harris locked in for Wednesday night because he's going to be tasked with guarding Luka Doncic for most of that game unless he's in foul trouble. Luka's on fire right now, and the Nuggets are not going to win that game unless they can have somebody who can get in front of him and stay in front of him and not commit fouls (coughs) because that's Luka's game. He really wants to draw the foul on on the driver, when he when he gets into the lane, when he's at the three-point arc. Very similar to James Harden, but right now in kind of a more friendly way. He's he's more of like a, a nice version of James Harden is what I would say. He doesn't go hunting for the free throw, but he knows that he can get it. Uh, James Harden goes and hunts for free throws, and that's it's pretty dirty and disgusting. But uh, either way, Luka's simply on fire and... and Gary Harris needs to be ready for it because Denver will lose if they don't have good Gary Harris that night against Luka Doncic. Uh, Last thing for this segment, the bench played really well, like I talked about with Murray, also with Barton. Each of those guys was really good with that bench unit. The entire bench was a plus eight, a massive turnaround after the Washington debacle on Saturday, so got to give them credit. Monte Morris was really good. He had 14 points on six of nine shooting. Hopefully he can get to that more efficient place because some of the numbers on him and the pick and roll and spotting up and some of the numbers that were really good for him last year are not as good this year. They're they're looking a lot more average. And there's a reason why he's not playing as much. It's not just because Gary Harris is healthy and Will Barton's healthy. It's because Monte Morris has not been as good as he was last year. So Hopefully he gets back to that point. This could be a really good springboard moment for him. Michael Porter Jr. also led the team in plus minus, which is something I never thought I would say this year, at a plus 17. He had a couple nice passes, two blocks, and he did his thing scoring on a low volume. He had 20 minutes tonight, and that's, I think, kind of right where the Nuggets should want him to be. Monte Morris was the one who took most of the shots, and Some of those shots are going to go to Michael Porter Jr. in some instances, and Will Barton took 20 shots tonight. Some of those shots will go to Michael Porter Jr. in in former, excuse me, future games. So once he gets into that position, I think as he continues to get more comfortable and more ingrained in this unit, 
I think he'll continue to be better. He continues to make some strong plays. He had two assists. He had two blocks. Like, hard to hate on that with Michael Porter Jr. tonight. Okay, let's take another break, and when we come back, we are going to go through some Q&A. I've got some questions about Paul Millsap, Denver's record with Jokic, and how Denver performs defensively in certain situations. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Nuggets numbers here, Ryan Blackburn at the mic, talking to you guys through some statistical stuff from Denver's past few games, especially this Atlanta game. Going to go through three questions post-game here. Had some questions on Twitter that I wanted to answer. Sam Anderson asked me, what's going on with Paul Millsap right now? And I, the short answer is not like, it's, it's really not that bad. He had a bad game tonight, don't get me wrong, but over the last eight games, he's been fine. He just hasn't shot the ball as well from three. The long answer is a little bit more difficult, so let's let's get into it a bit. Over the last eight games, he's averaging 11 points, six rebounds, two assists on 24 minutes per game, 46% from the field, 33% from three. 33% is the key number there because most of those numbers are pretty similar. Most of those numbers are in the position that you expect them to be. Uh, On the season, he's averaging about 12 points per game, and 11 points per game is really not that far off of that. The reason why I took the last eight games, by the way, was he sat out a couple of Denver's uh, first couple of games on their five-game homestand, and when he returned is the point where this eight-game period for him starts. The numbers that he has accumulated at that point, they're not that far off of his season averages. The two places where he has struggled, though, are three-point shooting and kind of his overall defensive impact right now. So the three-point shot is understandable. He wasn't always going to shoot 45% from three. Nobody would expect him to. That's just not something that you expect from a guy who's really a career, what is he, 34% from three, 35% from three, maybe even a little bit lower. Let me check there real quick because I'm actually kind of interested myself. He is a career 34% three-point shooter. On the season, he's shooting 42.5%, so massively overperforming. His next highest three-point mark was back in 2010-2011, uh, 39.1% with the Utah Jazz. Um, he was a starter then, so but that was that was a full decade ago. So you got to understand that this is this is new territory for Paul Millsap to shoot this well. And when you think about it, when you think about it like that, it's understandable that he he hits a little bit of a lull, 33% from three in his last eight. The really big deal is the defense, and 
while Paul Millsap has been on the floor, Denver has always had a really strong defense for the first two years of his career. And to start the season, that was very similar. Hard to really argue with what Paul Millsap was doing on the defensive end while Denver was the the number one defense or number three defense in the NBA during that span. But let's look at the last eight games with Paul Millsap on the floor versus off the floor defensively because I'm really interested to see what his defensive ratings are like. Yeah, I mean... On the floor, the Nuggets are allowing a 100.9 defensive rating with him on the floor. With him off the floor, they are allowing a 109.3. That is the highest on the team with him off the floor. So he's still maintaining that strong defensive impact. The steals and blocks numbers are pretty down. Uh, He has failed to block a shot in six of the last eight games. I think that's concerning for Denver when they rely on his back-end defense. But, I mean, it's it's really hard to argue with that mostly. I think that Denver's bench has really struggled to defend most of the time. They're in a position where they're trying to work in Michael Porter Jr. When he's not playing, it's usually Malik Beasley who's playing. Sometimes Jamal Murray's playing the two. Monte Morris is kind of undersized at the one. Um, so most of Denver's defensive drop-off has come when the bench has been on the floor and Paul Millsap has been off. However, I'm still a little bit worried about Paul Millsap in that situation. I think he'll be fine. He'll continue to get his occasional rest before making an impact in the playoffs. But this is why Jeremy Grant is so important, in my opinion, and why he's kind of a swing piece for Denver right now. To this point, Jeremy Grant has not been great. Uh, I've been his biggest defender, I think, because of what he's been able to do in Oklahoma City over the past couple of years. But if he's not going to play that way, then Denver is in a really tough position because last season, the Nuggets didn't have a backup power forward. Paul Millsap was really the only guy, and Trey Lyles really fell off. And so when you, when you needed him most, when you needed a backup power forward, Denver didn't really have an answer. So they went to Torrey Craig. They went to Mason Plumley at the four next to Nikola Jokic. And that was one of the primary reasons why Denver couldn't defend the Portland Trailblazers in the playoffs is because they didn't have a counter for when Paul Millsap was not at his best. So we're going to see what happens. I still have faith in the Jeremy Grant lineup so that he can cover just in case Paul Millsap continues to struggle, but he's not really struggling right now. So let's let's uh, push back on that just a little bit. Next question, WC Buckets asks, What's Denver's record when Jokic scores 30-plus? And I thought this was interesting because I didn't really know how many times it had actually happened. To answer your question, this season, Jokic has only scored 30-plus three times. Denver's 2-1 and one in those games, so hard to really factor that in. The only losses was to the Boston Celtics when nobody else could really throw a pee in the ocean that night. In his career, though, Nikola Jokic, when he's scored 30-plus, the Nuggets are 16-7. and seven. And that says to me that it's it's not like a an indicative number either way. Because, of course, when Jokic is going to score, Denver's going to win more often than not. Don't get me wrong. But it's not always about the scoring in those situations. It's just about involvement. Because if Jokic is involved, then the Nuggets are going to win. 
In the seven losses that Denver had when Jokic scored 30-plus, he either had three or four assists in six of those losses. The seventh was against Cleveland and LeBron James, where he had six assists. In Jokic's 30-point games, when he has five assists or more, the Nuggets are 14-1 in his career. So when Jokic has 30-plus points and five-plus assists, the Nuggets are 14-1. Actually, that might be 15 and 1 now after tonight because he had 47 and 5. So that's the real kicker. That's where, when you get Jokic involved, no matter whether he's scoring or he's passing, when he's scoring, it's a big deal because usually he's being very efficient when he's scoring. It doesn't take a ton of shots. The Nuggets are going to score and, and play well more often than not. And in this case, they're 14 and 1, maybe 15 and 1 in his career. That's a big deal. When he has those great performances, Denver can really rally behind him. They can really fall into lockstep behind what his, like what his capabilities are. And people don't always have to score in those situations. They just got to get the ball to Jokic and hit the shots that they need to when he passes them the ball. Next question and final question of the night. Patrick Rasmussen asks, How do the Nuggets perform defensively on possessions after a made basket? His kind of, his statement was that it's possible that Denver is in a position where when they play well, the momentum is in their favor and they play better defensively. When it's not, then they they tend to struggle. So I looked up the numbers and I will just say that the what I found was pretty average in both of those situations, so I don't think there's a really big indicator whether after a made basket versus a missed basket, they're actually playing better or worse. Off of a missed field goal, the Nuggets are they give up a 53% expected effective field goal percentage. And what that means is that the type of shot the Nuggets give up and the shot location for where they give it up. Uh, usually those shot locations are either behind the three-point line or at the rim or in each of those spots, there is an expectation for how many points a player is going to score at a given time. Maybe it's 34% from a corner three. That would yield an expected field goal percentage of 51%, I believe. So that's that's a decent mark, average mark. The Nuggets give up a 53% expected expected effective field goal percentage uh, and a 53% actual effective field goal percentage. So basically what that means is they are about average. They are in a position where they're giving up the right shots or, or the shots that they're giving up are fine. That's in the context of other teams They are very average, and it's the same off of a made field goal. The Nuggets give up a 51% expected effective field goal percentage. Uh, They actually get a little bit lucky in this situation because the actual effective field goal percentage is 50%, so a little bit lower. They're pretty lucky there. So they allow just 31.6% from three. Uh, Those numbers likely don't mean a lot to most people, but... It's really it really is average to give up an expected effective field goal percentage around fifty one percent, but a lot of the teams that give up the the lowest effective field goal percentage in those situations are teams like Utah and Milwaukee and Philly. They really prioritize limiting teams from guarding or from taking shots in the 
places that they want to take them, whether that's behind the three-point line or behind the arc or, be, or at, the, at the rim or at the free-throw line. Those defenses are really good primarily because they have good players, but also because those players help manipulate the opposing team to taking the shots that they want them to take. And there's a reason why Utah is consistently a top defense, why Milwaukee is consistently a top defense. They are top four in expected effective field goal percentage. And the Nuggets are never going to be at that point because they have Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray kind of locked up. Those guys aren't going to be, like Jokic isn't ever going to be a rim deterrent. And Jamal Murray is never going to be a stopper of the ball. Gary Harris can be, but that means that you have to switch Jamal Murray off, oftentimes onto a big shooting guard. And that's a, just a completely different situation. So I'm looking forward to seeing how those numbers develop because I think expected effective field goal percentage is a really big indicator of the kind of defense that the Nuggets want to be because they generally give up valuable shots to the opposing team. They give up a lot of threes sometimes. They give up a lot of layups sometimes. And when the Nuggets are at their best is when they're forcing teams into shooting that that seven-foot floater as opposed to the four-foot floater. Or they are forcing them to shoot a mid-range pull-up that's contested as opposed to an open three. If they're in that position, then they're going to be a good defense. If not, then we may be looking at a team where they kind of top out as a as a conference finals team. Because if if you have a situation where you can't stop the opposing player from taking the shots they want to take, that's a problem. That's that's a time where the LeBron Jameses and the Kawhi Leonards tend to dominate. So again, I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes and whether that continues to be a problem, whether it continues to be a solution, because we're still 36 games into this thing and things could change rapidly. So that's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Thank you for tuning in. Longer episode today. Really appreciated you sticking around for as long as you did. I am Ryan Blackburn, site manager for Denver Stiffs here at the Denver Stiffs Podcast Network. Check out Jenna Garcia's show on Wednesday. Then we're going to do a Denver Stiff show on Thursday. That'll be that'll be fun. And I'm going to come back with another another episode of Nuggets Numbers on Friday. So looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I will see you guys soon.